0: Listening to Belt of Truth. Conversations, Arming Laity, powered by the Armor of God Men's Movement. Visit our website at ArmingMen.com.
1: In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for
2: this time and opportunity to just come and speak to you about our passions, our loves. We ask that this conversation be blessed and inspired by your holy words. We entrust all this as we pray together. Glory be. To the, to the Father, Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. As, as it was in the beginning,
0: is now, and ever shall be, be
1: world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.
0: So, I'm here with uh, my good friends and my brothers, uh, Tommy Lapsley and Nick Gray. And uh, we wanted to get together and, and chat about a concept that is just not talked about enough when it comes to men. And, uh, we're going to call that a shadow life and, uh, how, how we slip into a shadow life and the impact of that. So as we get started, Tommy, tell me, tell me your journey. Tell me a little bit about yourself.
2: Well, my journey, uh, so obviously, uh, you know, I was born and raised Catholic, uh, attended St. Vincent's, uh, wasn't baptized there. I was actually baptized in England, uh, oddly enough, um, mom and dad are from the UK. So, uh, but yeah, grew up going to St. Vincent's, uh, f- first through eighth grade, went to Dwenger. So Catholic upbringing, um, as immediately when I got out of high school, I fell away from the church, um, did a nice 10 year stint of, uh, living a heathen life. Um, to an extent, you know, uh, everything was all about me. Uh, we just talked before, you know, teenagers, world's all about me. Well, I was 19 out of high school and the world was all about me. And, uh, You know, went through a little journey, you know, met some good people, did have some good times, but it definitely set me up for, you know, some issues when I would get later in life, Uh, you know, when I was, you know, had to grow up, you know, late 20s, I was a late bloomer. Um, And uh, then, you know, refound my true Catholic identity, Um, but still, there were still things I needed to work through, you know, this was in my early 30s, Um, and really then, you know, came full circle with, you know, what we're going to talk about today, the shadow life, uh, about two, two and a half years ago. And that's really when my faith journey really came back in, in the forefront. Because, you know, I was just filling holes that only God could fill with alcohol, drugs, I mean, any addiction, you name it. And uh, now, for the, since the past, you know, two and a half years of being sober, it's, uh, you know, changed my life. And uh you know I'm on the right path now. So uh yeah, that's kind of the condensed version of the journey.
1: Yeah. Nick, what's your story? <clears throat> what isn't my story? <laughs> 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 so just like a lot of us, you know, I was uh, lived in Fort Wayne all my life, uh born Catholic, so Cradle Catholic, have a wonderful Catholic uh experience growing up, um, with the, my mom and dad and brothers and sisters. I'm the oldest of seven. Um So I've lived this polished Catholic life and uh, early um, in my young young adult or pre-adult, I discovered alcohol and um, started uh, down that path a little bit, um, but still held it together for quite some time. And, uh, you know, I had that normal Catholic high school experience, went off to college and just like many others drifted away from our faith. Um, and filled those voids with, with other things, but people didn't know about it. Um, you wouldn't really be able to tell, um, you know, if you weren't trained, I guess. So then I, uh, my wife and I went to high school together, but then when I came back from, uh, my freshman year of college, um, started to go in school with her and, um, got married five kids later, you know, fast forward, good career, uh, good, good person in the community allegedly, But then, um, you know, uh, wasn't as strong as I should be or could have been or as I am now or striving to be in my faith life. And so uh, it's been a good journey um, with a lot of uh, troubles, and we'll get into that. But, uh, you know, the things that have come into my life these days, and we'll talk about Holy Fraternity, uh, really have helped to foster that religious and that desire to grow closer to Christ and desire has always been a big word of mine but then uh now I think I have the uh capability and also the program and um, the the men around me to fulfill that desire yeah
0: so would you guys agree that uh, that when you get into this shadow life aren't we just numbing or running from something i mean if we, if we go a little deeper with that, there, there's, a, there's a cut or a wound that kind of puts us there. So talk a little bit about that for you. How, how, what was the cut or the wound in your life that put you in that place?
2: I'd say kind of the cut or the wound, you know, how, how, I, how I grew up. My, my vice historically, well, in my life has been alcohol. And it was um, very normal in my household. So, like, if I got caught drinking, I wouldn't really get in trouble. And I started at a really young age. um, And I was actually really good at hiding it, or at least I thought I was. But, you know, um, there wasn't a lot of repercussions when it came to, you know, my drinking at a young age. And so it kind of came a normal thing. So that was my life. And that was kind of my identity that controlled me. And for a very long time, I had no idea it was controlling me. You know, I started um, had my first cigarette, that was the, the one that led me into everything when I was 12 years old. And then after that, it was stealing alcohol from my dad, um, watering down vodka that he kept in the freezer. <laughs> and then he's wondering why his uh, alcohol starting to freeze <laughs> <laughs> to, you know, stealing beer from grocery stores when I'm 1415. And, you know, just doing, you know, I I wrote him off as, oh, I'm just a dumb young kid. And uh, that continued into, you know, high school where, you know, we'd just, we'd go to school throughout the week and then the weekend was just, let's party and let's see how drunk we can get, Mm -hmm. Um, which that set me up for the fall of my 20s because then I all of a sudden, you know, I turned 21 or even before 21, turned 19, I moved immediately out of the house and it just fostered the the dysfunction that I was being, you know, I was having friends buying us alcohol and that's all it was. The, there was no, there was no check. There was no, you're doing something wrong. It was just, I was getting away with things, which was one, because I never really had a bad experience, you know, never had like a really bad car accident when I was driving drunk or never had you know, any real bad repercussions, never got arrested. I got arrested one time, but it was, you know, like a slap on the wrist. It got knocked down to a reckless driving. So that, again, kind of fed the, oh, you can, you're not doing anything really wrong. So it just continued to spiral, continued to spiral. And through my 20s, you know, and I spoke a little bit on the, on the, the retreat in February when I did that core mission. Um, my core mission was I'm going to do anything I can to make myself happy. And right now drinking makes myself happy. This is what my identity is, and this is what my core mission is. So it just continued to feed itself and feed itself, and I had no, nothing to fall back on. So the only thing I had to fall back on was, oh, well, we're partying and having fun, and I'm in my 20s. It's fine. Hmm. And that just continued to spiral and spiral and spiral. Still had no repercussions. Still never really had anything bad. And, I mean, I was drinking and driving when I should, shouldn't even have been walking how drunk I was in these things but for whatever reason I had no repercussions so I had that feeling of invincibility like oh well nothing's nothing's wrong it's fine Mm -hmm. but I was living in that that lie because I was just feeding the the devil inside me and it just continued to spiral and spiral and spiral
0: yeah so Nick what what about you was there a cut or a wound that kind of You You know, that's
1: the interesting thing is I can't ever uh, think back to any specific, you know, like I said, I grew up in a great uh, family, you know, we didn't have any issues, so to speak, we're typical. And so I I think it's just um, my lack of maturity, my lack of self control. And I also think it was Satan just knowing what uh, the easy path to take to get that grip on my life. Yeah, it's just, it's kind of weird, you know, you, you you watch these different shows or TV things or you hear other people's stories and, and there has been a wound, you know. There's A lot of our friends have grown up and they've had issues or abuse in their home and, and stuff like that, and we never had that. So it, it's it's really unexplainable how, you know, somebody gets into a situation um, like that. And, and it is a slippery slope, so, you know, it just happened and I liked it and I rolled with it.
0: So how... Talk about your relationship with your dad. Was he a good role model for you or did he model things that wound up leading you down this path?
1: You know, when you look back, um, definitely I had a great father, a great uh, experience. Um, He spent a lot of time with us. He coached us. He uh, was available. He worked very hard though. Good work ethic, workaholic. Sometimes I would say looking back. But um, you can see the history coming down the trail through my family of people that, you know, um, grandpa and and you know others that you know had this drinking, um, you know, drank too much on occasion and, and maybe more than on occasion. So it's in our blood. So, so you, yeah. were, you
0: you didn't use alcohol to numb yourself from any particular trauma in your life? Not from
1: any experience or trauma like that. I think what I did was, um, again, was very selfish with it and thought that this was my time. And so when I did drink, um, you know, uh, it was after hours or when no one was around, you know, and so that was the, uh, that was just being Satan hanging out.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: So Tommy, talk about your dad. I mean, did your dad, did your dad contribute to your uh, affinity for alcohol? Or Absolutely. Did, okay. Yeah.
2: I mean, that's why, you know, where I got to the like, uh, no repercussions. Cause it was, it was very normal in my family. Mm-hmm. You know, I learned a lot of bad habits from my dad, but I mean, he was a an attentive father. He was a loving father. I mean, he told us he loved us all the time, but it was more picking up on the bad habits, things like that. When it came to alcohol, you know, it was very acceptable. Um, you know, smoking was worse than drinking in our house. I'd get in trouble more if I came home smelling like cigarettes than having, you know, alcohol in my breath type thing. So, certainly bad habits with that, you know, me thinking that that's just normal. You know, I can get away with it no matter how much I drink and it's fine. Um, But it wasn't like, there was nothing, no bad moments where it was like an abusive you know, my dad, you know, my mom or dad would get hammered and beat on us or anything like that. It wasn't, it was never anything like that. There was always love in the house. It was just, you know, picking up on those bad habits and then my own self allowing those bad habits to completely control me. Yeah. Interesting Uh, how
1: all that happened. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So Nick, um, you've spoken before about the actual concept of a shadow life, how people would see you at church and and at our football games, and go. That guy's got it all put together. Look at him; he's you know dressed to the nines. Great family. There's nothing wrong with Nick Gray. Nick's got the perfect <laughs> life. So, h- how did how did that work?
1: Yeah. So it you know, it, it, I think a lot of us have this. You know, it's the duplicity. You know, it's trying to um, you know serve two masters. And so during the day, or you know what most people knew was there's Nick. You know, there's Nick and Ann, and we had good good family. We were at church. All the time, like you said, we were involved in many different uh, Catholic organizations. You know, we helped, I helped start, you know, Redeemer Radio. I wasn't one of the original founders, but I was one of the guys that came in on the second tier and really helped to launch that and get it where it was at today and active in the diocese and on different communities, different boards, school board, parish things. And, uh, you know, people would, you know, enjoy hanging out with me and desire to spend time with me. But then, you know, they really didn't know truly who who I was and I didn't either. And so, um, I had this, this life of duplicity and I was serving two masters, you know, at daytime I was just being this good guy. It was all a, you know, good image. Um, and then, you know, and and I didn't really ever think about this because it was normal for me to, um, you know, if I went to a party or we we got together, it was normal for me to be the guy that drank a little too much. Um, but I always, um, you know, was okay in that setting, but then when I got home or the next stop, you know, that's when um, things usually would get out of control. So, you know, I was, I was really good at keeping it off the radar.
0: So, Tommy, talk about your uh, shadow life, if you will. Well, I mean, how did you, how did you fall into that?
2: So, yeah, I kind of, to echo kind of on what Nick, Nick kind of mentioned just briefly, I became just known as the guy that would go too hard, mm-hmm. and it would almost be like, oh, it's just Tommy. You know, that's just his normal thing. But again, you know, I was a, an outgoing, friendly person. And so you could keep the, the, you know, the kind of the, the, the hidden selfishness. Cause I would, I would then, you know, the alcohol would, you know, control my life. And, you know, I would do things around making sure I was able to drink, but then I would still be the guy that would, you know, go help you move a couch or do, you know, lay a floor with you or something like that. So I'd, I'd create this facade that you know I'm still a good guy I'm out helping everybody doing whatever but then you know it just it kind of became that norm that always well he's a great guy but man yeah he can party yeah um and you know but I was always I would never be an angry drunk or you know it was always a funny haha stuff like that but then behind closed doors that alcohol allowed other things to begin to control my life as well
0: so let's go there yeah let's talk about the impact of the shadow Mm -hmm. life right
2: so what what was the impact? What, what was the pat? What was left behind? So with that, um, obviously, you know, alcohol as it as it creeps into you, uh, obviously, it lowers your inhibitions, um, and over time, that allows other sins to start creeping in. Many sins that I, I was affected with over the years, you know, pornography addictions, you know, that's something that a lot of men struggle with. I mean, we heck, we did a uh, a workshop on it. Um, it's something that, and it's, it's a very private thing. I mean, you don't see guys openly saying, oh, I'm addicted to pornography or anything like that That is something that really, you know, tons and tons of men affect with. And that was something that it wasn't super prevalent when I was young. You know, I was a young teenager, you know, you view pornography when you're in high school and stuff like that. But it, it really got bad when I was truly in the grips of my alcoholism because it was like, oh, well, I'm getting away with alcohol. I can get away with this. And it would continue to that would morph into you know inappropriate behavior out in public inappropriate conversations with you know the opposite sex things like that go frequenting strip clubs things like that like just not not upstanding things, but if you look in the messed up world we're at that's that's kind of a norm now that it you can get away with that and like, Oh, he's still a good guy. He helped Mm. me lay my floor. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's totally fine. Right. But that, that grip, that alcohol had on me allowed sin to manifest in other ways. And you know, I I always go back to that alcohol thing because it was the last year and a half. I got rid of that. Everything else has been a walk in the park. That's great. I mean, it was just like, that was my, that was the devil's in to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was my alcohol, my alcohol addiction, that just allowed him to get in and, and I could justify anything. Oh, I'm doing this for business. I've got to go and get you know just blackout drunk with my customers because I got to make them happy. Yeah, you know things like that.
0: Well, we talk about Saint, Satan knows your entry points, right? And so that was that was for you. So Nick, talk talk about uh, for you, you know the uh, the impact of your shadow life on your family or yeah, you know, just in general.
1: So I think the biggest thing with me was um, with my family and not being the dad, or the husband that I was, you know, desired to be or called to be. And so, um, you know, my first, our three oldest kids did not get uh, the best dad ever. And so um, they got the guy that would come home and, and drink and, and things like that. And so I I was attentive to him. You know, I coached them and stuff like that in sports, but um, just not, not a great influence or a great a guy to have around, um, as well as my wife. And I think that was one of the motivators that, that eventually after years and years and years and years and years of trying to change this behavior, that was the thing I think that ultimately did it for me was, you know, my, my children and my kids deserve better, you know, and, uh, that was it. That was it a hundred percent.
0: So when uh, when you identify that you're in a world of a shadow life when when you are not living an authentic life when satan has a grip on you like you both speak of walk us through the process of going from there to where you're at now so both of you are committed to to not drinking moving forward and i've been around you guys a lot and I've, i it's a full-fledged commitment and i mean you you make a funny joke i think you have him by a a year, a year, and you're like, you'll never catch me. You'll never catch me. Yeah, and I think that's great. Um, yeah. So, but but I, I mean, am the record holder. Yeah. Yeah, right <laughs> at the top, yeah. But I mean, in all seriousness, it's uh, it's one thing to acknowledge that that you have an issue, but how did you go from there to an unbridled commitment to fixing it?
1: That you know, I. This is still. Uh, A miracle to me because, you know, every year I would give alcohol up for Lent. You know, I would drink too much on the weekends and Monday morning, you know, when you're apologizing to your wife and you're trying to get your act together to get to work, you're like, I'm never going to do that again. And so, um, you know, years and years and years of of going through the motions and going through that routine, something happened. And um, this was back in 2017, actually, this time of the year, uh, November. And I was getting ready to to um, do Exodus 90, and we were going to do Exodus 90. Our fraternity was formed, and we were going to start the first of the year. And I said, well, I'm going to take this serious. And for whatever reason, I actually did. And, you know, years and years, in the past, I would do Exodus 90, sure, or some program like that, and I would take it serious, and um, but still go back to the same old behavior afterwards, just like Lent. You know, I couldn't wait for Easter Sunday or Monday or Tuesday or anything after that. But something happened. I was going to fast, get ready for um, Exodus 90, and I was ready. You know, it was a true miracle that God took this off of my shoulders and uh, out of our lives and uh, got me ready for Exodus 90, did the Exodus 90, and after that I've never looked back. And I don't even desire it. I don't even think about it. I don't even... um, whatever, I could come over to your house and you guys are having a party and having a great time and I'd have a great time right with you. So it's weird. Um, I don't think I'm, um, it's not, I'm not like the ordinary person maybe or the traditional person going through that, you know. Um, I, I believe it was a miracle.
0: You speak You speak like that a lot, you know, about it. So I believe that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so Tommy, what about you?
2: Yeah, so, um, you know, I think the process of my downfall let's start there Uh, my body and uh, you know my mind knew I had a problem about I would say maybe close to a year before you know I quit drinking alcohol I mean it was out of control Um, you know I tried multiple times to quit on my own you know I can control this it's fine you know one night I'd come home just absolutely hammered and you know I'd, I'd drive home, and that was the biggest thing that my wife would get extremely mad at me when I'd do that. And over that year, it got so bad that I mean, there was one night I drove home with our, she's now 17. I think at the time she was 14, 15. Uh, I picked her up from work, and I mean, there was just no reason I should have been driving. And I was like, all right, that's it. I'm done. I'm done drinking. And then it would go two, three weeks, and then I was start drinking by myself at lunch, sneaking it so she didn't know. But then it would go back to, you know, me. Ah, it's just, I'm back to it, drinking on the weekends, not hiding it anymore and stuff like that. But my body was screaming for me to stop. I mean, I was just unhealthy. I'd wake up every morning feeling terrible from, you know, being hung over, dehydrated. I'd put on like 30 pounds. My body was just not healthy. And it was just screaming. And every time I'm like, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? I'd be like, this is my last day. And then mm-hmm. three hours later, I'd be at, be at the bar at lunchtime at 11 o'clock hammering three beers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it finally came, you know, to a point where I had to choose. You know, I, I, I got, I went and I moved out of the house for about two weeks. You know, Pam was really upset. Uh, you know, it all came forward and, it, and I had to choose. And at that moment, I, I mean, that was my rock bottom. I mean, it was, it was, it was all right. Are you going to pick alcohol? Are you going to pick your family and your kids? And, and that, the miracle that happened after that, as Nick said, a miracle, I, um, I had no idea what to do because I couldn't do it on my own. I knew I couldn't do it on my own. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I went to AA, oddly enough, I I found a meeting that next day and, um, I had no idea how faith based AA is. I was just kind of like, oh, it's a. I used to call it in my 20s. Oh, it's a bunch of quitters. Hmm. Well, I got there, and it was amazing how, you know, the first three steps are all about admitting you have a problem that you can't control, and only a power greater than yourself can get you through it. And so there was a guy in one of the meetings um, that he said that after his second round that he got on his hands and knees and asked God to take the desire to drink away, and I thought the dude was crazy. Until he looked at me and he said, go home and try it, but you got to mean it. And I, I was at that point, I was, I was desperate. I tried anything. I did it and I don't know, but just like you said, Nick, it, it worked. Mm-hmm. I mean, God has completely taken the desire to drink away from me and it has been incredible because it felt like such a weight had been lifted. Because it was just something that was just it was a massive anchor just holding me back from being the person that God wanted me to be. Yeah. And all I had to do was ask. Yep. Yeah. And follow through and give myself to the Lord. Cause I knew, I knew a year before that I couldn't control it.
1: And I think when you're when you're in that position and you're you're doing what we were doing, in really any sin, you know, like that that has a grip on your life, um, once you do get beyond it. It is so liberating, and you get your freedom. Whereas, like, I was thinking, oh, you know, I'll, I'll go and drink, and, and this is my time, mm-hmm. and this is my free time, my freedom. Well, I was chained to that sin, and it was uh, just devastating. Um, but then once I got past that, I was so free mm-hmm. and, um, and then so grateful for that feeling of freedom. And it, the chains came off, and it's just, you know, wonderful, just wonderful. I never dreamed that I, I already thought I had a good life, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And now it's a great life. Most days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, yeah. That, that's powerful. And, and, you know, Satan had that plan for my life and it was isolation. You know, I did Absolutely. this, you know, on my own. Um, it was, I was enslaved. You know, I turned to alcohol. I was, you know, I was enslaved to that. I felt degraded. So I felt, you know, like I wasn't a good dad. I wasn't a good husband. Um, I I wasn't just good in society. Even though I portrayed the other image, um, I felt degraded. And it was just truly destroying my life. It was just truly destroying my life. And had I kept on that path, first of all, we wouldn't be here. You know, we wouldn't be friends. Mm Mm-hmm. So to speak, we might be friends because we might have discovered each other in a different, you know, arena, but we would not be authentic friends. And I I think that is the thing, you know, Satan's motive was anything but God, Mm -hmm. anything but God in my life. And, you know, everything else was good. And then I just didn't pay attention to the God, which was the good part, because I was brought up that way and we knew that way. And the beauty of it is I knew where to go. Just like Tommy said, you know. He had that little guardian angel show up at that AA meeting and tell him, you know, just try it, but you got to mean it. And so we knew where to go. And that was back to our faith that was ingrained in us throughout our upbringing.
0: And you speak about going back to the faith. You also speak about Satan and, and his entry and knowing your entry points and, and getting a grip on both of you guys. So let's talk about what you're doing now to properly arm yourself. Mm-hmm to to make sure that Satan doesn't get back in so um, Tom, I'm going start with you what are you doing now to arm yourself
2: well yeah I mean now it's you know obviously you had to completely change your outlets because everybody's gonna get frustrated you're gonna get angry and all that stuff so you have to change your mindset when things happen like that because my my go-to was ah, I'm stressed I'm gonna go have a beer mm-hmm. well now it can't be that so now I have like I said I've completely turned myself over to God um, my day starts with prayer. I hit the oratory right after I drop the kids off at school. Um, the only day I don't is when I go meet with my accountability group. So I've completely changed the, the dependency was before on alcohol and on myself, where now it's, it's all on God. There's not a, no alcohol, not the biggest amount of alcohol could ever fill what God can fill. I mean, I could be in total despair and there's no amount of alcohol that could fill that. But simply just leaning on God, asking for, you know, anything, healing, support, wisdom, um, you know, direction, anything like that. It just brings that peace to where I'm like, oh, I can do anything further on that support of my wife. You know, she has been amazing. I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for Pam. I mean, Mm -hmm. she, her faith, and, and this is kind of where I've, I've just been like, wow, I'm amazed at what God can do. The strength of her faith has really inspired me as well to completely rely on God because she is, she, I mean, she completely put her faith in God and said, I do not want to give up in this marriage. We're going to fight for this. And that was another thing that, wow. Okay. If she can do this and God can do this for her. I mean, then what can he do for me? So that reliance on God is completely just not even a second thought about ever having alcohol to cover up an anger or cover up a frustration or anything like that. It's just give it to God, and he'll give you. He'll either take it away or he'll give you the strength to bear that cross.
0: So, Nick, what are you doing to arm yourself?
1: Yeah, so I talked about Exodus 90, and so that was kind of the catalyst that helped me get um, on the path, the recovery, or whatever you want to call it. And, um, you know, 90 90 days is, you know, how long it takes to change your habits and change your behaviors. And so, um, you know, that was leading me back to God because it's all Scripture-based. And, um, you know, the other thing is it talks about fraternity and holy fraternity. And so instead of surrounding myself with my little friends, Budweiser and Maker's Mark, um, you know, I've surrounded myself with good, holy men who have the same desire that I have, we're never going to be perfect, um, not even near it, but, you know, we're all desiring that and working towards it together. So that holy fraternity, I think, is key for me. Um, Along with a heightened sense of awareness, um, I had a lot of guilt, you know, uh, looking back, and I still do. And so it's just not focusing on, you know, the past. It's just focusing on the future. And so... I kind of got a great do-over with um, my younger uh, kids in our house, and I get to be a better dad, and that motivates me to do this. And then also, you know, the the stuff that we're doing here at Armor of God is, is key. Mm-hmm. You know, we have that core mission statement. And so that is that thing that's repeatable and that's ingrained in our, our brains and our DNA. And so when something's going on, you know, I call it that heroic moment. You can go one way or you can go the other way well you've got that core mission statement and you say all right and my core mission statement is all for your glory lord pretty simple right so anything that comes up all for your glory lord so obviously i'm not going to go back to my old habits because that wouldn't be for god's glory and i believe it and i practice it and um i want it so that's great and then also having a right set of virtues you know we've we've talked about legacy virtues versus resume virtues, Rob, that was one of the greatest things that you probably stole from somebody else and brought to us. (laughs) I'm never afraid to call anybody (laughs) out. That was one of the key things early on with armor of God that, that you spoke of. And, um, I still think of that often. So, you know, I don't want to do things that aren't real. And so I'm not too concerned about those resume virtues or padding you know, making it look like I'm a good person because I I, I did a whole life of that. Mm-hmm. And I walked away from it. And so now it's, you know, again, back to that authentic way that we live. And then, you know, Tommy, the prayer, um, and the things that we do with our accountability groups.
2: Yeah, accountability is big too. You know, mm-hmm. I, I you know, all the my guys that are in, you know, my accountability group, they all know my story. And they'd be the first ones to jump on. If I reached to grab a beer, they'd run up and slap me right in the face and knock it out of my hands. So you guys would probably do the same thing, you know, because I'm surrounding myself with people um, and and informing them of decisions I've made. Like, hey, I am changing my life and I need your help. Mm -hmm. I need your help. I can't do this on my own. So if you see me going astray, I need you to smack me back in line. So accountability is 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 huge and key in that as well.
1: And I think it's uh, for me, it's just the awareness of the enemy, Satan, and his strategies you know in in our lives. And so I know what he's after and um, just always keeping that in mind and being able to to battle that. And so when I am thinking you know guilt or um, you know remorse or just that I'm not good enough, to do this, um, I know that it's Satan. Those are his thoughts. Those aren't my thoughts because my thoughts come from Jesus. And uh, that's the place to go.
0: So let's just uh, assume that you had a time machine and you can go back and talk to old (laughs) Tommy and old Nick. As we kind of put a bow on this, what would you whisper in your old self's ear and give yourself that little nugget of wisdom to prevent yourself from being where you're at today
1: that's a good one because um I don't know how this happened you know how I got to the point of you know living that shadow life it just kind of evolved over years and years and years and so um and and I was this kid that 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 prayed and I went to church and i i I did stuff and that's a good one, Rob. I don't know what it would be other than get engaged with, um, you know, some type of armor of God, um, program early and then capitalize on the friends and the people that are going to be there. And, you know, don't desire to go out to the bars and things like that. Yeah, it's a lot of fun, especially when you're young and, and reckless and you can do everything, but God has put so many people in our lives that we didn't even realize at the time that that could have helped us maybe not gone the place that we went.
0: Yeah. Tommy, what would you tell your old self?
2: The little nugget that I would say is you are missing so much. Yeah. There's so much that you are missing right now. You might think you're having fun and you might think that you're fulfilling yourself, Mm -hmm. but a life without God is so unfulfilling.
1: Mm -hmm. Yep.
2: That, yeah, you're, you're just missing so much. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, guys, you're you're two of the most authentic men that I know, and I would call you some of my best friends. And I really thank you guys for being honest and real today, and uh, sharing your journey. And I, I just want you to know that you're an inspiration to me and a lot of the guys I think that know you. Um, so well, thank you. Yeah, so thank you for being here and being honest, and uh, hopefully, you know, moving forward, guys can
1: hear a little bit of this and, and take this out to the world. Yeah. Well, thanks for having us because this is also a, a great. Uh, tool for us to, um, share our stories. And I, um, you know, Tommy, I didn't, I didn't know all this stuff about you before, you know, we started getting yep. engaged with armor of God and, and, um, it's neat. You're my hero. You're my hero. Yeah. It's, it's cool.
2: Got a year on me. Dang it. Trying to catch up. Just won't happen. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> um, but yeah, really appreciate it. And yeah, if our, if our stories can help anybody, I really hope they do. Um, you know, if anybody is, you know, battling with an addiction that they're just, whether it's too embarrassed or too, too tied into it, just, yeah. And that's see me or Nick grab us. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's
1: the thing. You know, we, we all think that, oh my gosh, you know, Nick Gray, Tommy Lapsley, Rob Gregory, you know, they got it all together. Well, chances are they don't. And, um, you know, that's okay. Reach out to us or get involved with those guys. Cause the Lord puts people in our paths for a certain reason mm-hmm. You just need to open your eyes. You've been listening to Belt of Truth,
0: powered by the Armor of God Men's Movement, located in Fort Wayne, South Bend Diocese in Fort Wayne, Indiana. For more information about Belt of Truth and Armor of God, visit armingmen.com.